Willard Boyle and George Smith invented the charge-coupled device, which is the default detector used in X-ray diffractometers all over the world. And they won the Nobel Prize 2009, and this is one reason for the pride of Nova Scotia, you know, uh, that he's Nova Scotian totally. Anchored by our maritime history and shaped by the ocean, Halifax, Nova Scotia is a breath of fresh, salty air. Humble, vibrant, and surrounded by natural wonder. It's an ecosystem for innovation and the ultimate backdrop for your event. This is the Discover Halifax podcast, a podcast about the unique and unparalleled local expertise, innovation, and infrastructure of Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada. This is the Discover Halifax podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Bailey. Today, I've got Sharif Mata of the International Union of Crystallography and Mount St. Vincent University with me to talk about all things Nova Scotia technology, Nobel Prizes, and quantum physics. Plus, we'll be talking about bringing his events to Halifax. Sharif, great to have you. Thanks for coming today. Thank you very much, Paul. It's great to be here and see you again. Absolutely. You as well. For those of you listening, I recommend that you head back over to the Discover Halifax website and check out Take the Lead. You'll see a video of Sharif talking about some of his experiences here in Halifax, and it's certainly worth the time. Uh, Sharif, before we get started and, and really into the the questions, maybe could you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your experience and history in coming to Halifax and what you do with the Mount? Well, thank you very much. I'm a professor of physics and chemistry at Mount St. Vincent University here in Halifax. I came to Halifax in 2004 for a postdoctoral fellowship at Dalhousie University. I was attracted to Halifax because I was offered one of these uh, Killam postdoctoral fellowships, which are very attractive for young researchers back then. You could say I was young back then. So I came to Halifax and then uh, near the end of my term as a postdoctoral fellow at uh, Dalhousie University, there was this opening at Mount St. Vincent. So I decided to apply and I was recruited and, and here I am uh, 14 years later. Originally, I'm from Egypt. I immigrated to Canada because I wanted to pursue a career in science that uh, was not easy to pursue back there in Egypt. And Canada opened its arms to people like me, an immigrant, started at McMaster University at uh, Hamilton, Ontario, did my PhD there, then went to the University of uh, Toronto, did a postdoctoral fellowship for a couple of years before the one, the Killam here in Halifax. That's actually really, really interesting, Sharif. And, and I think there's lots we can actually dig into there as we go throughout the conversation here today. The fact that you are somebody who has global experience and a global mindset, and you've landed here in Halifax, not only to pursue studies, but to pursue a life and build thought leadership here to then export back to the world is absolutely spectacular. And, and I'm going to dig into that in just a few minutes as well. But before I do, we were talking just a little bit before we started. Uh, you were telling me a bit of a story about how research kind of evolves and gets started. And I'm wondering if you could share that uh, with the folks that are listening to our conversation. Yeah, you see, we are not living in the 17th century anymore. <laughs> Back then, you know, 16th, 17th century, and even to 19th, even early 20th century, scientists can be working mainly alone. They are loners, you know, people that work on their own 
they, I shouldn't say loner, but their research was done individually. Like people like Newton didn't collaborate with anybody or Louis Pasteur or, or any of these big names, you know, they, they did not collaborate. That was then. Now things have changed dramatically. Now research is not done in this manner. It's very seldom, perhaps in mathematics, perhaps uh, only in mathematics that, that people publish on their own papers. But generally speaking, I, as far as I know, research has now become a collaborative and pretty international activity. And usually it is done in teams and uh, you can distinguish leadership in the teams. So it requires a high degree of sophistication, also not only technical sophistication, but also human skills and, and management in order to lead the team toward the specific goal. And also uh, you need finances, you need grant uh, money in order to be able to run the team. So it becomes like a hybrid of a corporation with scientific uh, operation in the same time. So you need management and in the same time you need the technical skills and, and depth and so on. So now typically research groups are large in my field in chemistry and physics and in biology. They span uh, different uh, disciplines and different specialization. You can typically find in a group, for example, in my group, you'll find chemists, you'll find pharmacists, you'll find chemical engineers, mathematicians, chemical education specialists, mathematical education specialists, even physicists, uh, particle physics, uh, people that came to my group and then converted into theoreticians of mitochondrion. So you bring the skills that they brought, the skills that they learned in particle physics into the realm of biophysics to study the mitochondrion, which is the, the site where the energy is produced in most living cells. Uh, nowadays, and I can delve into this more. In fact, I stumbled on this by, you know, there, by pure coincidence, this, this branch of research about the mitochondria. But uh, what I like about this, Sharif, and, and what I find most interesting, and it seems to be a common thread talking with all the folks that we're having conversations about uh, Halifax with, is there's this common thread of a catalyst for change, but also a coming together and collaboration of people. And one of the things I did a little research beforehand, and frankly, having the benefit of having met you prior, when I start thinking about crystallography as a whole, it really truly is that as well. You know, I try to put my thumb on whether it's chemistry or physics or pharma or bio, and it seems to be a little bit of everything. You know, maybe this would be a good point in our conversations just to talk, you know, at a, a real basic level for someone like me, what is crystallography and what exactly is it that you're trying to accomplish? First of all, a, a disclaimer, I'm not a crystallographer by training. I'm Crystallography is my second sort of uh, area. But uh, crystallography is the science that studies crystals in order to determine the atomic positions within the unit cell that propagates in space to form that crystal. So you have the crystal is essentially a repeating unit. There is a unit that repeats itself in the three dimensions. And by repeating itself, you fill the void of what the crystal is. And so basically crystallography tries to determine these atomic positions there. It's, it's in a very simplistic way. And you do that by determining where the electrons are located in the crystal mainly. And electrons scatter uh, X-ray and um, you use basically X-ray and 
the beam of the x-ray is diffracted by the, the crystal and you interpret the pattern of the diffraction pattern that comes out of this x-ray diffraction experiment and you work your way backwards mathematically in order to determine where the electrons are most concentrated and indirectly then you determine where the atoms are located. And once you have the atomic arrangement, then in the crystal, then a lot of other properties can be understood, whether they are properties of materials, whether they are properties of proteins, uh, semiconductors, you name it. You need, um, it's used in metallurgy, in earth science, geology, all sorts of things. There are, crystallography can be used uh, as a practical tool, for example, an analytical tool in order to distinguish what kind of compounds are in a clay or in a piece of pottery or ancient pottery. But when you have already known powder diffraction pattern of certain suspected compounds that are in this clay, so you can analyze that, you can use it in the analysis, but also more fundamentally, you would try to find out the positions, as I said, the, pos the atomic positions that are unknown in an important protein. For The most famous example is the discovery of the alpha helix of the DNA itself by the diffraction pattern that was generated by Rosalind Franklin and seen by Watson, Jim Watson and Francis Crick that led to their discovery of the alpha helix. Of course, should, of course, sadly enough, Rosalind Franklin died early, so she wasn't recognized for this discovery, but everybody knows that she's the untold heroine of this DNA success story in the 50s. There's so much in terms of modern day impact that comes with your studies. When uh, I was sitting down, once again, like I said, preparing for this, just even doing a simple search and, and you look at all the technologies, all the pharma, all the various other places that your work and, and your studies crosses, it's actually quite surprising to me. Uh, when I start thinking that if, if, you know, without these studies and without this thought, you know, anything from a cell phone to a watch to, you know, various bioproducts and everything else, none, none of this really exists without that, that thinking. Mm -hmm. Where do you see this going in the future? You know, what's next when it comes to the impact of this work? Oh boy, that's just a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> But at least uh, from this vantage point, there is a, a very fast developing subfield of crystallography nowadays called quantum crystallography that draws on the strength from quantum physics and crystallography, quantum physics, quantum theory and crystallography. So it draws on theoretical subject and mainly experimental subject, which is crystallography and try to extract more than just the atomic position from the experiment by constraining the fitting of the solution that you get of the structure to mathematical by constraining the the fitting to specified mathematical requirements that are constrained by quantum mechanical necessity so doing that, you can extract much more than just the position of the atomic nuclei. You can extract 
uh, energies, for instance. You can extract the delocalization um, descriptors of where the, the whereabouts of the electrons and so on. So you can dig into the electronic structure of the crystal much more by doing that. So this seemed to be an exciting subfield that is developing very fast nowadays. Um, I don't think I'm answering you <laughs> correctly, no, but I, I, because uh, the prediction of the future is very difficult. But it seems that people are, you know, are going in all sorts of directions. You know, material science, uh, biology is ex- expanding at, at an incredible rate. There's all sorts of very exciting research uh, using crystallography and using quantum chemistry. Are you ready to jump in and learn more? Stay tuned for the second half of the conversation and then visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to get the full story on why Halifax, Nova Scotia makes perfect sense for your next event. Well, and, and I think that's the interesting and you, and you did answer the question oh, uh, very you. well. Thank mm. you for that. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. You know, when I look at this and, and I think of what you're doing and this is all happening in Halifax, that's remarkably exciting. A lot of people out there don't know how much is actually happening from a thought leadership. And I'm going to call it future forecasting, even though if we could forecast the future, I think you and I would be doing something very different right now, um, for sure. But with that said, I think that there's something really interesting about that because of the environment that exists here in Halifax that facilitates a lot of this type of work. And, And maybe we could just talk a little about the scholarly scene when it comes to Halifax, Nova Scotia. Yeah, Halifax is a smaller size city, and to have three universities in one small city, a smaller size city like this is is a blessing. We have Dalhousie University with uh, its associated King's College, for example. Dalhousie, as you know, is a, is a medical comprehensive school, so it has all sorts of range, engineering, medical science, pharmacy, uh, you name it. Uh, all the disciplines are covered. And then you have smaller universities like St. Mary's University and uh, Mount St. Vincent University, where I work. And these are the two latter are primarily undergraduate universities. Um, I should also mention NASCAD, which is a primarily art university uh, as well. So we have four institutions, university type institution in the city. But the three that are global university, not specialized in art like NASCAD, are not in competition in a strict way. In fact, they complement each other because they offer the students of the province here, or even the students that come out of the province, a palette of different choices. If you like the big university, the intensity of the big university, you have it. If you want a smaller sized uh, university with smaller classrooms, with more in person to person interaction with your profs, you have it as well. When you have under primarily undergraduate uh, institutions such as SMU and, and Mount St. Vincent, it's a little challenging to do research in a way because um, you don't have access to graduate students. But because Dalhousie and St. Mary's has graduate program, but for example, the Mount uh, in the sciences doesn't. So what we do is very, again, there's a very collegial atmosphere here in between these three institutions, these sister institutions, as I like to call them, as I like a lot of people like to call them, that very often the professors at Mount St. Vincent in biology or in math, 
or in chemistry and physics, they do have, and in other departments, but I'm, I'm talking about the ones that I know better, are very often given the chance to serve in, the, in Dalhousie or at St. Mary's as adjunct professors. And by virtue of that, they can supervise graduate students. So that, that is very convenient because you have this same, you are at an undergraduate institution, but you have that option of having graduate students, and it worked fantastic. I had several success stories with both St. Mary's and Dalhousie of students that uh, I supervised or co-supervised for doctorates and masters there, and uh, that worked fantastic. And I know from my colleagues have similar experiences. So yeah, it's a good atmosphere because I have the impression, I, I, I do not know any statistics, but I have the impression that per capita, I think you have quite um, an impressive number of university per capita, you know, in a city, if there is something like that. And uh, Halifax, there, uh, you're asking about thought leaders in, in Halifax. Well, it's, it's hard for someone that is specialized to comment on an overall question like this, like thought leaders, like, I don't know, for example, thought leaders in mathematics, or I don't know the thought leaders in geology, for instance. I can only comment on chemistry and, and a little bit physics. But, but um, in order to be uh, objective, there is a very famous study that was published in 2019 by a professor from Stanford University by the name of John Ioannidis that appeared in PLOS Biology. And this study, they ranked... They've scanned the literature and they have tried to rank the researchers in the world in the 20 years prior. So the two decades, the, the late 90s and till the 2000s, basically. So 1999 to 2019. They scanned all the people that published papers in the sciences and it turned out to be about 7 million. And they have looked at their citation metrics and they adjusted the citation metrics by their specialities because citation metrics are highly dependent on, the trends of citations are highly dependent on your sub-discipline. For example, mathematics typically do not, uh, mathematicians are, do not have the habit of citing very much. So mathematicians' citations are typically very low, but it doesn't mean anything. They could be brilliant, but it just is field-specific. While, for example, in the medical sciences, they tend to cite very much. So you cannot compare across discipline, but they have calibrated this and they have adjusted by field and ranked these scientists, 7 million over the world for 20 years on the basis of these adjusted citation metrics. Again, a citation metrics is just one and it has to be contextualized. You cannot take it as the sole indicator of excellence, but it's one indicator and it's at least relatively an objective indicator. So what they've done is that they filtered this 7 million to the top 100,000. And from the top 100,000, so this is the top 100,000 workers or, or scholars from 22 scientific fields that are broken down into something like 176 sub-disciplines over 20 years period. In Halifax, there are about 33 or 34, if I count is right, in this list of uh, people from the 100,000 top researchers. So there are leaders here, you know, in the city. And uh, now I don't know how that compare with other cities, but it seems to be a respectable number. 
Sharif, we talk about uh, thought leaders and, and we delved into that a little bit. Uh, one of the things that comes up as well is, is it's a story about uh, at least one of the fellows is from Amherst and it has to do with the uh, CCD detector. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about that because I think that's a really cool made in Nova Scotia story. Absolutely right, Paul. I mean, uh, this is uh, one of the success stories of Nova Scotia because our own Villard Boyle, who is born and sadly he died also in Nova Scotia. He's completely Nova Scotian. He died at the age of 85 uh, in 2011. Willard Boyle and George Smith, they invented the charge-coupled device, which is the default detector used in, in X-ray diffractometers all over the world and in synchrotrons and so on. And they won the Nobel Prize 2009. And this is one uh, reason for the pride of Nova Scotia, you know, uh, that he's Nova Scotian totally. Well, especially when you start looking at the number of chairs that exist here in Halifax versus some other cities, and you start looking at uh, especially the collaboration that you're talking about, there's there's a significant amount of leadership that's taking place be it recognized or otherwise, that is something that I think is is truly unique to Halifax. And like you mentioned, just the sheer quantity of these institutions, the city has a way of changing depending on the seasons, and it's not just the weather. For a lot of folks who have been in Halifax for any length of time, you can almost determine the season by, uh, you know, the overall energy that comes from these institutions and their students and their faculty and staff. When the school is in session, you feel it throughout the city. And even delegates and organizers that show up feel that. And it's something where other school cities, other university towns have that same feel. But the concentration here in Halifax makes it something that's truly unique, or at least that's how I certainly feel. So I certainly appreciate you raising that. Let's dig in a little bit deeper because you've actually hosted some events here in Halifax with Discover Halifax, which have been exceptionally well-received. And once again, in prepping for this, I had the chance to speak with one of my colleagues, uh, Jeff Turner, a little bit about this. And he walked me through just some of the tremendous successes you've had around those events. And I'd love for you to share some of that with the folks listening in here today. Well, in 2018, we were very fortunate. Uh, We, I mean, my research group uh, to be selected to host the International Union of Crystallography's uh, Sagamore Conference of 2018 here in Halifax. That was after an election in the previous conference. It's a triennial conference, so it's every three years. So the previous one was in 2015, and it was in Italy. And uh, we, the Canadian bid, I mean, I was asked, I, I didn't put my name forward, but the organizer asked me if you would be interested, and I, I felt very honored, and I said, sure. And uh, we were elected. Uh, there were other countries in the bidding, and uh, Canada was selected to be the country for the 2018 conference. So since I am at Mount St. Vincent University, it was decided to be in Halifax. And that was a great choice because in the summer, you know, it's a beautiful weather. It's a beautiful city. It's uh, vibrant. That's before COVID. We're lucky. It was 2018. So... Um, It was a very uh, nice venue, so it wasn't very difficult to convince a lot of people to come, you know, here. I have organized about two dozen conferences and or seminars in my professional life. Two of those, including this one, 
I was not completely on my own. Yes, it was the International Union of Crystallography, but this one was totally on my own. And if I was just on my own, I am telling you, it wouldn't have been possible to do. It was because I was lucky enough or fortunate enough to get in touch with uh, Discover Halifax that this conference has taken place. And Halifax has this, is blessed by having this Discover Halifax because then they do that accounting for you. They do the initial budgeting. They, they, you have a budget. You have an anchor to start working from. You're not in vacuum anymore. You're not in this nebulous uh, space where you, where you have to decide on everything. So I was really lucky to uh, to, uh, to to get in touch with with Discover Halifax. I mean, we had. A fantastic opening. It was on one on the tall ship. We had, you know, the opening ceremony was on a tall ship in the basin of Halifax. It was we're lucky the weather was cooperating. We had over a hundred people on the ship with fiddle music and wine and cheese and champagne and, and all sorts of hors d'oeuvres and things. And uh, we used the facility of the uh, new conference center here in Halifax to run the, the lectures and the, the sessions and so on. And, you know, it's, it's a downtown surrounded by all sorts of restaurants and cafes and things ideal for the side talks that makes a conference a success because the value of the conference, because the real value is in the personal human interaction with your colleagues. The little talks that you have in the corridors and in the poster sessions, this is where work is done. This is where new collaborations are formed. And this is where the, you, you build your international network. So, um, yeah, so that was a great opportunity here. And, and again, I thank Discover Halifax very much for their incredible help. And um, on the top of this, uh, they were very kind in awarding me the Ambassador Award, which I don't feel I deserve at all. I think, I think the people that deserve is Lisa Cochran and my co-organizer, uh, Paul Ayers. Unbeknownst to me in, in the opening ceremony, uh, Jeff uh, just turned out with this trophy and, and uh, was very, very generous of them. So I thank them here uh, in this podcast as well. And thank you, uh, Paul. The conference we had, you know, we inaugurated two international prizes, one a senior prize and one uh, an early career prize. So these are the inaugural prize, two inaugural prizes here. So that that was an important element in these conferences. So we had Richard Bader International Prize for Excellence in Electron Density Work. And also we had the Miguel Blanco International Prize for Early Career work in the same field. And we had two fantastic researchers, one from Britain and one from Spain, the, the first from Britain, Paul Popelier, who won the Bader Award, and Edward Matito, uh, who won the Early Career Award here in Halifax. And the certificates of the awards and the, the money of the award, which is about $2,000 or something like that, were given at the banquet which was over lobsters and uh, all sorts of uh, Nova Scotian uh, delicacies. So, um, no, it was, uh, it was absolutely great here. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. Mm. Um, I, and just for a little bit of context, my colleague, uh, Jeff Turner, when, when you were selected for that Ambassador Award, I, I know he likes to, to show up and surprise the organizers with that, but, but I'm here to say that that's just a testament to the type of work 
that you did in Halifax and that countless others have done in Halifax uh, as well over the years. The fact that you've got a international event that's taking place and that you have people from around the world attending and you have people coming here being recognized for their work either early in their career or as their career finds that traction. And that's all happening in Halifax. That's exciting. That's not something that I think outside of this podcast, sometimes a lot of people stop to actually consider. The fact is we've got these universities, we've got thinkers like you, and we've also got people like you who are willing to step up and be a part of something bigger and bring these events here. There's a reason you won that award, Sharif, and it's because of those types of things. Thank you very much, Paul. Thank you. just moving on kind of in that the last couple of thoughts that that really crossed my mind uh you know we've we've covered a lot of really complicated things which i always struggle to understand but you found a way to make it simple so i even i get it but on top of that you've also talked about your experience with conferences in halifax and the thought leaders that are here um who should care about doing a conference you know if, if you you could speak to somebody on the other end of whatever device they're listening on right now, who should be doing a conference here in Halifax and why? What a great question. But um, let me preface that. Sure. It depends on if you have a body behind you or not. Now, in Halifax, we're lucky to have Discover Halifax. Then they will help you a lot. But still, if you do the CSC, the Canada, the, the, the annual Canadian Chemistry Conference and Exhibition, when you reach a certain stage in your career, you should be um, organizing something. Because it's kind of you give back to the community in a way of service. It's just like in a university. Every faculty in a university, every faculty, per, every person, every faculty member in, in the university has to do some percentage of service. You have to serve on committees and you have, it's kind of you, it's service to your colleagues because the university cannot function without the service. So when you reach a certain stage in your career, it's, you should give back. And, and there are ways, it's not entirely selfless. As I said, it's a rite of passage after a certain stage in your, in your career. Yes, it's kind of expected. Uh, who should organize and who should organize a conference? Yeah, it's usually mid-career or or later, but it doesn't. There's no set rule. Excellent, Sharif. Thank you for your time today. I very much appreciate it. This has been very educational for me. It's allowed me to dig a little bit deeper into an area that I knew only a little about because of us chatting last time. So once again, thank you so much for coming in today, Sharif. Oh, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure to to, to be here and to to see you again, Paul. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with Sharif Mata of the International Union of Crystallography and Mount St. Vincent University. If you'd like to learn more about his work, please visit sagamore2018.ca. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, visit businesseventshalifax.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Paul Bailey. Halifax, Nova Scotia is ready to host you. Whatever you're gathering for, from wherever in the world you are, you'll feel right at home here. 
Halifax is home to a diverse collection of memorable places to meet and stay. Plus, we have all the collaborators to help your event go off without a hitch. And when it comes to nailing down the details, consider Discover Halifax, your partner in planning. Visit www.businesseventshalifax.com to learn more, take virtual tours, and meet Team Halifax. Thank you.